Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. Good afternoon to all the good people in manufacturing who are listening to our show and other people around the world. Matter of fact, we're going to take a little trip around the world today as we talk about the different purchasing managers index reports, what are called the PMI survey results, with some of our senior international correspondents. But before we get to those reports, I'd like to chat with my co-host, Lou Weiss, who's up in New Jersey. He's got our postscript for us and some uh, update news items. Lou, how are you today? I'm doing great, doing great. So let me get right to it because we've got a tight show today. Uh, last week's show, our, our postscript, we had Mike Toma from Travelers Insurance to speak about five top ways manufacturers can limit their exposure by using 3D printing and marketing opportunities for 3D printing and risk control in regards to categories of manufacturing should be understood by those using 3D manufacturing. And Travelers Insurance certainly is the pro- professional in that world. And I think it's uh, opportune time for our listeners and manufacturers to get the inside squeaky on this one. We also had uh, Mike share uh, explain how uh, at B B2B salespeople can break to develop new accounts and grow your top-line results. Um, imagine spending an hour to add five or five figures in new revenues to your company's top line if you were to buy into a new way to do business. I refer, I refer to it as change or die. Uh, that being said, it sounds a little radical, but we are living in a very radical time. Just take a look at Washington, D.C. nowadays. Um, that uh, that said, uh, our news item today is really not a news item. It's kind of an update on uh, the National Association of Manufacturers uh, inaugural State of Manufacturing Tour at uh, Emerson in Round Rock, Texas. Uh, it was a rather interesting uh, event, and they talked a lot about, uh, obviously, manufacturing jobs the last year and how, uh, as a country, uh, that we can bring those jobs back from abroad. Well, that's one of the great myths that won't happen. Uh, the problem is those jobs of uh, 10 and 20, 30 years ago are rapidly becoming obsolete due to uh, technology and due to the fact that nobody wants to do those jobs. Uh, those jobs are dark, dirty, and dangerous. Um, the, the parent trap don't want their kids going into those types of job functions, and they really dissuade them from going into manufacturing. They'd rather see their child, their sweet little honey, to go to college, uh, get a degree maybe, 40% don't, and uh, they still have to pay the hundred dollars to $200,000 debt, which takes about three decades to pay off at the interest rate, which is absolutely usurious. You can go to a bank and get a loan for 3%, but if you're a student, you're going to have to pay anywhere from 8 to 11%, not understanding why this is allowed by our federal government, but 
who knows? We can't figure out anything they do nowadays. Um, technology is actually the future-proofing jobs and careers. Uh, today, technology largely is the core foundation of the jobs in manufacturing. One of the problems in that regard, though, is that as of this moment, we have 700,000 vacant jobs in manufacturing. Last month, the new jobs came out about two weeks ago uh, for the month. Uh, we added 236,000 jobs, which is terrific, but only 48,000 of that was in manufacturing. So you do the math. We added 48,000 last month, and we have 700,000 open jobs. So where are we going to get these people from? Uh, at one time, we used to have 18 million people in manufacturing, and now we have 12. And the time during the war, Second World War, they brought in 3.5 million women to work in manufacturing. Yes, they did work in dark, dirty, and dangerous, but that was then, and they did their patriotic duty of earning money for the family while their husbands were off fighting the war, and they helped build the war machine that helped us win the war in the first place. Well, today there are many organizations available for, for women to um, get into manufacturing and learn what's going on. Uh, one of them is uh, Women in Manufacturing, it's Allison Grealis, who uh, we have met, we've interviewed with, and uh, she's doing a fine job. She's got about eight or nine chapters now throughout the country. Uh, and there are many more uh, women's organizations to help promote women in manufacturing. Personally, I think they're smarter than men, and they actually should be in manufacturing. Uh, they see things differently. They do things with their hands when raising families, and, and they get scheduling and, and the things of the nature that are required in um, in manufacturing. Manufacturing Institute launched a Dream It, Do It program several years ago uh, aimed at uh, raising the awareness among youth, parents, teachers, and stakeholders about the, uh, the benefits of getting kids into these manufacturing programs. And matter of fact, and I'm going to plug Manufacturing Talk Radio here, um, this coming Saturday, uh, whatever that date is, I think it's the 25th, there are 295 libraries in the state of New Jersey that are opening up their doors for a program called um, Make It. And they are going to have kids between the age of 8, 9, 10 years old and introduce them to the idea of manufacturing and have them actually work with their hands and build something and take their a uh, little toy that they manufactured or a little uh, 3D printed something or other take it home so that they have a remembrance of, wow, I went and I actually made something. And the idea, of course, is to um, get the kids in early. Don't get them caught up in that parent trap, college rat trap con that, only puts families into uh, serious debt. So, uh, yes, some people should be going to college because we need those people, but we also need people in manufacturing. 
If we don't fill the the gap, start to fill the gap today, that in 10 years from now, that three 700,000 vacancies is going to be three and a half million. And then we're going to be in really deep due. So this weekend, uh, we're going to be there at uh, the Hillsdale Library. We're going to be interviewing uh, some folks there. Um, and we're going to be interviewing the kids also to get their perspective on what their thought is about uh, manufacturing and, and the event of the day and so on. 295 libraries, there's got to be a lot of people showing up. So we're re- really grateful for uh, for ourselves to be there, to be invited there. And uh, you'll hear our interviews uh, the following week uh, or the week after uh, of the kids perspective is real important. And I think that this is uh, a great way to go. I'm glad to see that there are organizations. Uh, in this case, it's NJIT, New Jersey Institute of Technology that's promoting this with the library system. And it should, it should be a fantastic event. And uh, we hope to see some of you people there and, uh, We'll uh, we'll talk more about it uh, on the show next week. Uh, Tim, thanks, Lou. That was quite an update. A lot of interesting things happening in manufacturing. And now let's uh, kind of take a trip around the world, and we'll hear from our senior international correspondent on the global PMIs. There are a number of reports that we uh, bring to the fore here on Manufacturing Talk Radio. So let's get to it. We are here with our senior international correspondent, Royce Lowe, who always reports to us on what's happening in the U.K. and the E.U. Royce, thanks for being back with us. Nice to be here, Tim. Nice to be here, Tim and Lou. Thank you. Where would you like to start? Where's the chaos at the moment, in the U.K. or the E.U.? Oh, there's uh, there's chaos all over the place at the moment, Uh, but... um, the uh, the uh, from the manufacturing point of view, uh, things are looking uh, things are looking not bad at all in the in the EU. We've got um, uh, we had a 55.4 PMI reading in Feb, and uh, in fact uh, we've got uh, the best the best looking thing for 70 months. It's a 70 month high. And uh, this is all being led by the Netherlands and Austria and Germany. Uh, who, uh, who, uh, the, the Netherlands are seeing a 70-month high, and Germany too. Uh, it's it's looking it's looking very good. Uh, of course, we're seeing uh, we're seeing inflation now. We're seeing inflation um, throughout Europe uh, and uh, and the UK. Uh, people are, people are obviously having to pay more for. Uh, Raw materials, uh, as we know, of late, uh, the last few months, the uh, the price of metals and uh, and uh, other commodities has been uh, has been rising, and there's no sign of it at the moment uh, backing off. But uh, the confidence the confidence is there in uh, in certainly in the in the eurozone and in in the UK, who the PMI. Dropped off a little bit in. Um, it dropped about a point in in Feb to a to a three month low, but uh, they're still uh, there again. They're still optimistic. Um, car sales are, are down a little bit uh, in in February, uh, first time in six years, 
but the car industry as such in uh, in the UK is uh, is is toddling along, and we're seeing uh, we're seeing good uh, production, we're seeing good new orders, we're seeing uh, uh, we're seeing uh, in in the UK the uh, <coughs> business uh, the Confederation of British Industry. Uh, is, is reporting export orders at UK factories to be the highest in over three years. So we're seeing we're seeing a little bit up and a little bit down. But uh, uh, so far in uh, in the UK and so far in Europe, uh, we, we're looking good and and we're looking optimistic. Uh, all this is in the the centre of uh, political turmoil. Um, uh, as, as, as we know, but Brexit's going on, and we just got a, a good result last week from Holland, uh, which had a which had an 83% turnout for its vote, and and they voted back in the uh, the Liberal guy, the Liberal uh, Prime Minister, uh, this chap uh, uh, Wilders or Wilders, whatever they call him, who wanted to. Uh, close all the mosques and uh, leave the EU, uh, he he didn't get in, uh, which is probably good because uh, Holland is very, very, very dependent upon the uh, the rest of the EU. Its, um, its exports represent about 68% of its GDP and 75% uh, of its exports go to the EU. So overall, in in that respect, uh, it's uh, the Holland is good. So that's one populist uh, guy that uh, that didn't make it. Uh, let me let me throw uh, let me throw you a curveball, Royce. Uh, generally speaking, uh, Tim and I choose not to discuss a whole lot of politics uh, on manufacturing talk radio because mm-hmm. we don't want to we don't want to get anybody mad at us. Uh, that said, it's over the last three, four, five months, it's almost hard to talk about manufacturing where politics is not playing a part and a role. So that mm-hmm. being said, let me let me just throw this curveball question at you because there's some things going on here that will definitely affect, uh, I believe, uh, globally the world, but uh, particularly Europe. And that is Mr. President Trump is talking about repatriating $1.7 trillion of American offshore profits, a good part mm-hmm. of which is in Europe. Um, right. Obviously, he's not going to get it all back, even though he says he's going to. But the way I see it, that will be a major black eye for the countries where these funds are sitting and either in banks or in investments or in manufacturing over there. If, in fact, they manage to demand the $1.7 billion back, what's that going to do to Europe? That's, that, that's, a, that's a, in, uh, if you'll pardon my expression, that's a hell of a good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> matter of fact, I read about this a few days ago, and, and, and my first reaction was, well, if there's $1.7 trillion, do they know where it is? Um, and, uh, I mean, we had this thing recently with Ireland, uh, with, with, with Apple in Ireland not paying, not paying the taxes and what have you. Um, 
I will think that uh, I, I really, really don't know what it would do to Europe, but $1.7 trillion seems like a hell of a lot of money. Uh, and it seems like $1,700 billion to me. And um, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I think that would depend, Lou, uh, on, on where it is and uh, how many people are involved in it. If, if, if it's if it's sort of spread around, and and how would he repatriate it? How would he uh, how would he make people hand it over? Uh, well, probably a lot of it's come, hidden. He doesn't come Sorry? up with he doesn't come up with uh, ideas on how to do implementation. He just no. throws out thoughts and ideas, and lets somebody else worry about it. And then we'll have another congressional hearing, and we'll have the FBI involved, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But I would—I'm thinking that this would be a major, major crisis for Europe. And uh, additionally, if he manages to impose the kind of tariffs that he's talking about, one, I don't think he can. But two, if he does, um, I could see a, a worldwide trade war. And uh, I just oh, yeah. hope that, I just hope that there's enough good people in uh, Congress that have a way of stopping him from uh, pulling the, uh, uh, the pulling uh, the button that will throw us into global chaos. Mm. We are no we are no longer we're no longer a uh, singular economy. We're we're a global economy. And yeah. we need we need products from everywhere. You need products yeah. from everywhere. So yeah. how can we and how can we do that? Well, that's uh, that, that's something that, uh, that that has to be um, that has to be figured out between between the countries. And uh, uh, I uh, I don't see how uh, I, I don't see how that the that the United States can be. That insular, that protectionist, uh, and and function because uh, we all need to trade, and uh, certainly the U.S. In fact, that figure that you just quoted there, Lou, that 1.7 trillion, to put it in perspective, that is a little bit more, uh, slightly more than the United States exports in a year. Right, that's that's correct. But just yeah. to just to answer your point about how could we do that, I just want to remind you about the Monroe Doctrine that we had in this country when the country went t- totally isolationist for a number of years. Right. Didn't didn't work then either. No. This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. dot <laughs>